And I'd like you to turn in the scriptures if you have your Bibles with you or if you use a Bible app, certainly that's a way to look it up. Also on the handouts, we keep the scripture in front of you. It's Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. I'm reading from the English Standard Version and it's a text that is from the days of King Solomon where Solomon had prayed for wisdom and God had granted him wisdom and in that he gives us this book of Proverbs, wise sayings on how to live our lives. And he says in chapter 3, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. We're talking in the beginning of the new year about key Bible passages that help us set a foundation for how to live our lives and what it means to have a vision for the year ahead. And it's not about having a vision around how to run the church, but it's really about our own personal spiritual lives. Last week, we talked about keeping our eyes on the white horse. We even had a white horse here, so people were surprised. I remember one person after worship saying, I think I saw a white horse go by. Well, yes, we did. But it wasn't that white horse, but it's Jesus Christ himself. Keeping our eyes on Christ and that relationship that comes from having our eyes on Christ. This takes work. Now, how many of you are in a relationship with anybody this morning? Anybody at all, including yourself? We are in relationships. Relationships take work. Relationships take work. They just do. No matter if a relationship starts as a gift that's given to us, every relationship takes work, and this includes our relationship with God. The gift of salvation is a free gift that's offered to us that we receive, but the process of becoming more like Christ and keeping our eyes on Jesus takes effort on our parts, and that's what I believe the proverb is about this morning. It begins by helping us to see how we keep our eyes on God or how we keep our eyes on Christ by letting us know that it needs to begin by reading Scripture. The Bible is not just a suggestion book for Christians. It's not just there something to be a nightstand holder or a dust collector. The scriptures are given to you and me to guide our life and help us build that relationship with Christ. Same thing that Solomon talks about, verses 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace will they add to you. I have a question for you. The text says, forget not my teaching. What does not forgetting something mean? Think about that for a moment. What does it mean to not forget something? The answer is, we must know it first. We can't not forget something we never knew. We have to first know something so we can keep it in our minds and in front of us. So although we're told not to forget the word, the truth is it implies very heavily we need to learn to know 
the Word. The text here has the word teaching. It is actually the Hebrew word Torah. It's a word that was originally used for the first five books of the Scriptures, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. By the time that Solomon is recording this, it refers to all the scriptures that were available at that time. And today it refers to all of our scriptures that we have, all 66 books of the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New. The scriptures are not there as some suggestion book. They are there to help us keep our eyes on Christ. So how do we keep our eyes on Christ? By learning his word. And herein lies the problem why I've brought my little prop for you, because people get stuck sort of at this point, and they say, well, aren't there a lot of truths out there? Isn't sort of the Bible relevant to everything else? What if I don't want to follow the scriptures? What if I want to just do my own thing? Well, we live in a society that's doing their own thing, and I think most of us can agree it's not working very well, and that's why we gather together as Christians, to stay centered on the word to worship God in spirit and in truth, and to understand as we corporately worship together, we also have something that guides and directs us and helps us to get to know God better, and that is the Bible or the Scriptures. What's interesting about the Bible, and especially in our tradition, is we've always understood that the Bible is a truth. It's what we get our very understanding of Christian behavior or moral values or how to relate to God and how to pray. But taken alone, just picking up a Bible and, and not having any tools to understand it can be very confusing. Do I get an amen? It can be very confusing. Let me give an example. I thought of a text that I wanted to show why it's important to read and know the Scriptures, but why we need to have a vehicle by which we can understand it. Take, for instance, the text in the New Testament that says it is a shame for a woman to come to worship without their head covered. Now, I look around this morning, and I would say we're all out of compliance, except for us who are guys. I think we can all agree on that. The text is clear. It says it's a shame for a woman to not have her head covered. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians. And so if you just literally take that, which I do take it literally true, but if you take it without any context or any understanding, it becomes a legalistic rule. So within the tradition of Wesleyan thought, way back to the days of John Wesley, John Wesley understood how the church had always turned to get Scripture to make sense to us. And he said, and we continue to follow this, that you need tools, you take tradition. Well, what have other people said about this text? How's it been understood throughout the years? You need to have your own reason. You have to be able to bring logical thought to the text and say, you know, what are the words here? That's why we'll sometimes do word studies even in a sermon. And our own experience on how do I live this out in my real life? So I want to take that same story or that same passage it's a shame for a woman to not have her head covered in worship. Well, that's written in the first century in which it was a shame for a woman to go out in public without their head covered. And certainly they didn't gather together for any important events without a woman wearing a head cover. You see the same thing in a lot of Middle Eastern cultures, even today. 
You go to certain parts of the world and women have their head covered. So the instruction was really pretty clear. The Apostle Paul was helping Christians understand, yes, we have freedom in Christ, but it's also important for us to fit into our culture. You need to be able to work in such a way that you can work within the culture that you work with. So as we take and look at how that's been looked at through tradition of the church, our own reason and our own experience, we start realizing, well, that has great relevance if we believe that, which I do, and take it as literally God's truth, which it is, and then we have somebody in our family who passes away. And it's time to go to the wake. And we all know that if you go to the wake, it's a very formal gathering. The funeral director and everybody is in a suit and a tie, and the pastor is the same way. And those who are gathering are all dressed up very nicely. It's a very proper event. And we say to our high school student, you know, Grandpa died and we're going to go to the wake, so go get dressed appropriately. And they come down with ripped jeans and a T-shirt that's ragged. And we look at them and we say, that's not appropriate. That's not an appropriate way to go to a wake. And we say, why even the Scripture points out, the Apostle Paul lets us know unequivocally that we are Christians. We have a higher standard. We need to be able to live appropriately in all situations. This isn't about me feeling comfortable being a kid in ripped jeans going to the wake. This is about us learning dignity and respect. So the scripture is 100% true, and it's 100% relevant in every situation, in every context, but we know that the Bible is written to particular people in particular times, and so we take that truth and that very things that are being shared with us, and we bring them into other situations in our lives. Reading it just without any context makes no sense. And there's times why people get confused, and that's why we study. We study to find ourselves to be approved. It's important to read Scripture, to know it. If we're going to get to know God, if we're going to have a relationship with Christ, we need to have His Word. We need to hear what He has to say to us. We need to believe His Word and trust His Word and understand it. I have a little game I play with people when they find out I'm a pastor. I can be anywhere in the country and somebody talks to me and says, what do you do for work? And I say, oh, I'm a pastor. I'm serve a church. And they say, oh, I go to church too. I said, really? I first asked them the name of their church. Everybody gets that one right. Then I asked them the second question. I said, what's the name of your pastor? Now, at that moment, I know whether or not they go to church. Because if they know the name of their pastor, they'll say, my pastor's name is Pastor Joe, whatever. If they say, well, um, yeah, it's been a while since, I, you know, I think they've changed a few pastors. Okay, I get it. See, relationships are something we work at and we build. If you want to tell me you have a relationship with the church, you certainly know the pastor's name and know a little bit more. Amen? You do. I think you all know my name. And if we're going to know God and we're going to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we're going to know who he is and we're going to know his word. Amen? Amen. That's why it's important for us to read and to study and to understand the scriptures. That's why we work hard here to help you get to know the Bible, to understand that these are truths to guide and direct our lives. The step one in any relationship, the benefit is, and it almost sounds as if Yoda wrote the next part. Listen to the way in which Solomon says it. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. That's a literal translation. That's the way it was originally said in the Hebrew. 
for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. That's a benefit in knowing the Scriptures. Getting to know God through the Scriptures gives us years of peace. It's not just, again, some suggestion. It's so that we can have a relationship with God and we can get through the tough times because we all face the tough times. It's so that when we feel rudderless and don't know what direction to go, we can recall the Bible and bring God's Word to us. Remember? Forget it not. But to not forget it means to know it first. It's so important for us, if we're going to have a relationship with Christ, to know His Word to study it daily, to read it, to digest it, to talk to others about it. Ask yourself, what are your years filled with? That's a good question for me to ask myself. What are my years filled with? Are my years filled with fighting and arguing and dissension and difficulties and problems? Or are my years filled with peace? That's a promise of knowing God's Word. It doesn't mean all the circumstances change. There is no promise that the circumstances out there will change. Solomon doesn't say, read the Scripture, and everybody's going to do what you want around you, and everything's going to conform to your will. But it does promise us years of peace. And that what we want in our life, in our life today, is to get to know God better and to have peace? We do it by taking the Scriptures, by taking a devotional and reading it daily by getting in a faith group and talking to others about it. There's a recent survey that was done about the effects of Bible reading on Christians. Fascinating because there's a number of things that were discovered about it. First of all, one of the things that I thought was very encouraging, and you know they kind of turned it into a discouraging thing, but it actually to me was a little bit more encouraging, is basically over 50% of people who go to church read the Bible regularly above 50%. We'd like it at 100%, but it's above 50%. About 30% say they read the Bible every day, and another about 27 or 28% say they don't read it every day, but they read it often throughout the week. It was also discovered that the number one way of helping children have a relationship with God, number one, more than anything else, was teach them the scriptures when they're children. Nothing else compares. Teach the children the scriptures. Kind of sounds like Proverbs again. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're older, they will not depart from it. Number one thing we can do for our children, teach them the scriptures, help them learn them. But then the other thing that was interesting is, again, seven out of ten people who said that they read the Bible said that then when they're facing something, they think about the Bible. They think about what the Scripture tells them. They think, well, you know, God's Word tells me this. See, it makes a difference. makes a difference in our life to know something that we can recall. So when we need to forgive someone and it's hard, we can remember the words of Jesus on how important it is to forgive. And then the other thing was discovered is the more that people read the Scriptures, the more they miss it if they miss a day. People who don't read it don't miss it. But when we read it and get to know God through His Word, when we simply take time, and here's a good exercise, if you're not reading the Scriptures, sit down today and start reading through the book of John. If you don't know how to find a good copy of the book of John because your translation is difficult, we hand them out at the visitor table this morning. Take it and just start reading through it. It's a story of Jesus. It's a New Living Translation, which is easy to read. Read it every day. 
Because again, if we're going to have a relationship with Christ, if we're going to keep our eyes on the white horse, we need to know how to do it. It's not by just saying, oh, I think I'm following God and I'm doing whatever I want. It's learning the Bible and learning to apply it to our lives. But then Solomon tells us a couple other things. He says again, because relationships are hard work, that the next thing we need to do is, having learned the scripture, we need to love people. Isn't that fascinating? Same thing comes back from Jesus. He was asked, what are the two great commandments? Love God, that's where we're getting to know the scriptures, and love people. That's where it gets to be hard work. Now, I don't know about you, but I find some people unlovable. Am I the only one who does that? There's actually difficult people in this world. So when I'm instructed to love people, that takes a lot of work. Verses 3 and 4. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. John, in his first letter in the New Testament, says something very similar. He's talking about getting to know God, and he says, how can you love God who you don't even see? If you don't love people who you do see, if you don't love your own brother and sister, if we aren't loving towards the people that are in our life, how can we love God? And conversely, as we love people, we get to know God better. It's like a miracle. It's amazing. Learn to love and care about somebody who's unlovely, and we learn more about who God is. Because you know what? God loves us and we're all unlovable at times. And it starts getting us in a better relationship with our Savior. Why? Because this is God's love. The text calls it Heshed. It's godly love. It's not based on a feeling. It's based on a commitment. It's the same thing in the New Testament when it talks about agape love. The type of love that Solomon is talking about here is godly love, heshed. It's a Hebrew word for love not being a feeling. It's an action. Are we hearing how to build a relationship with God? Get to know his word and be loving in our actions. Un Doesn't matter. Unimaginable grace comes into our life when we learn to love for others. Think of Jesus on the cross struggling for his last breath. Having people who betrayed him and having the agony of the sin of the world upon him. Being publicly disgraced and humiliated and to the end he shows us how to love. As he looks down and says, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. See, as we love, including people who are difficult to love, it's good to love like we love our little granddaughter. She's really easy to love right now. She's cuddly and cute and coos and smiles at us. That's easy to love and do kind actions to. But when people are not being lovable, then how we act and treat makes all the difference in the world. We love like Jesus. We get to know Jesus better. Making sense? Solomon makes sense here. This is wisdom on how to get to know God. Also doesn't just say, that our love should be hashed, godly love, but he also says here it should have the mark of faithfulness. This again is a quality of God. Faithfulness like love is not a choice, is not a feeling, it's a choice. We choose to be faithful. 
We choose to believe in someone else no matter what. We choose to love and care for someone else no matter what. We choose to make that choice or we don't. The word that's used here means reliable. Can others count on us? Can others count on me? That's the question. Can our children count on us? Or do we just go off and do our own thing and wonder why we don't have good relationships with our children? Can our neighbors count on us? That if we tell them we'll do something for them, we follow through and we do it. My son Todd had a problem that he got car sick very easy. He still has it. He's the only person I knew who we could back out of the driveway and from the front of the driveway to our mailbox, go check it out, it's not very far, he'd get sick to his stomach by the time we were out and we had to let him out. Sometimes he literally would be sick to his stomach. Well, it made it so he couldn't ride on a school bus. No matter how hard we tried, he would go to school, he'd be sick for a couple hours. So what we did discover is he did better sitting in the front seat of the car if I drove him to school. So I used to drive him everywhere and was actually had great benefits because I spent a lot of time with my son in the car. And one time I said to him, I said, Todd, you ever worry that your dad's not going to be there? He said, no, I never worry about that. I said, have I ever not been there? He said, no, I don't think you've ever not been there. And I said, what would happen if I wasn't there? I was thinking he was going to give me something like, oh, I'd feel awful or I'd feel betrayed. He goes, oh, I just assumed you would have got caught in traffic that one time because you're always there for me. That's how we're asked to be not just towards our son Todd, towards everyone. When we learn to have love, godly love in our life, and when we learn to be faithful in our relationships, we get to know God better. That's what Solomon tells us. This is true of all relationships too. It's about hesed, godly love, not our feelings, not what we're thinking or not our personal preferences, and faithfulness. And the last thing that Solomon tells us, if we want to have a personal relationship with God, one that gets us through the good times and the bad times, through everything, we need to trust Him. We need to trust Him more and ourselves less. We need to realize that when we need to make difficult decisions and God is guiding us, we need to trust those difficult decisions because we're trusting God. We need to realize when we're following God and trusting God and listening to his word that we can trust it. If everybody else tells us it's not true, that doesn't matter. We still need to stay faithful because that's what we're asked to be as Christians. We live in a society, in a world in which we're constantly debating, as I was talking about here earlier, about the place of Scripture. And everybody out there can have any opinion they want. There's nothing we can do about it. But we can guard our own hearts and realize that God's Word is truth and it's here to guide us and direct us. It is an imperative that's given to you and to me and it will not let us down. Amen? It will not let us down. But if we just think we can do our own thing, and go our own way. And then we wonder where God's blessing in our life is, and we wonder where the peace is. Get back to the Word, and let's follow what God tells us how to live our lives and how to build that relationship. So we have, as Yoda said, years of peace and long life. Verse 5 and 6. Probably the most beloved part of the Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Trust. It's the word bata. It means to rely on something with a sense of security. 
it was used in the military for the chariots. It said if you're in battle, you would batah your chariot because you knew you wanted to have chariots on your side because you wanted to win the battle. And now in the battle that rages in life, it's God that we trust in. It's Him that we put our faith in. Years ago, we were at a river in New Hampshire. And Regina and David and Todd and I were all there. And there had been a whole bunch of rain that had happened. And you know how those little streams can get to be pretty rushing rivers up in New Hampshire? Well, we were at one of them and everybody was by the side of the road. Everybody was down there and they're sitting on the rocks. So we decided to pull into the little drive off and we went down, sat down, walked around went into the river, and I remember we said to David, be careful, don't go in too far. Well, I think he was an eighth grader at the time, so what do you think he did? He went in too far. The next thing we knew, he was swept off his feet, and we watched our little eighth grade boy go head over heels, over rocks. Literally, we thought he hit a rock head on, had a waterfall kind of going over it. Regina and I were terrified at the moment. We went running down, wondering what was going on. It was not a calm moment for my wife. We got down a ways, and there he was on the other side. He was okay. However, he couldn't get back. <laughs> and we couldn't figure out how to get over there, and I didn't want to go over some rocks to do it. And finally, a park ranger came and said, I will rescue your son. We trusted in that park ranger who knew the river, who knew New Hampshire, to go over and get our son and bring him back. We then went and sat in the ranger's hut, and he lectured David about how he shouldn't have done such a thing and he should have listened to his parents. And then he ended with a funny little joke. He said, well, at least you're going to know what your essay, what did I do over the summer is going to be when you go back to school this fall. We, however, trusted that ranger. We were in a place where we needed to trust someone to rescue our son. The scripture tells us to bata, to trust God. We can't do it ourselves. We can't walk across every single river and face it all on our own strength and think that life is going to work out. There are simply times over and over every day we've got to give our kids to God. We've got to give our church to God. We've got to give our work to God. We need to give ourselves, our life, our health, everything to God. That's why we walk around and we do the prayer time to say, God, we acknowledge you are in control. We trust you. Even more than trusting our New Hampshire Rangers, we're to trust God. Want to have a relationship with God? Want to get to know Jesus better? Want to keep your eyes on the, right, on the white horse? It's, it takes work. Salvation is a free gift. We accept it and we're forgiven. It's amazing. We, Jesus died on the cross. We accept that gift and we're forgiven. And then we go, why is my life still a mess? Why is my life still a mess? Because I need to do the work. I need to put in the work. And there's many scriptures that talk about how to put in the work. Solomon gives us a perfectly good way of doing it. Learn the scriptures. Make it part of our lives. Learn what it says so it can transform our minds. Learn to love people and be faithful, even when it's hard. Learn to do the loving act, the truthful act, no matter what we're facing. And trust God. To put it another way, be careful of Stan's way. Let's do it God's way. You can put your own name in there. Let's be careful of living our life our way. Let's learn to live our life God's way. 
It's basically three principles I try to live my life by. I can't. God can. So I'm going to trust Him. I can't. God can. I'm going to trust Him. You see, we're talking about foundational passages of how to live our lives. To keep our eyes on the white horse. To realize with all the other distractions that are going on in our life and in our world, it's easy to get fixated on everything else, but our eyes need to be fixed firmly on Jesus, and there's a way that we do it. If you need help, if you'd like to go deeper in your Christian life, which we all need to do, I invite you to come talk to myself or Pastor David. We'd love to get you involved with a faith group where not only are you on Sunday morning hearing the word, but having an opportunity to meet with others throughout the week to go deeper in your reading and understanding of Scripture, to become more accountable in your faith. We'd also like to help you to learn how to read the Bible better. That's what we're here for. We're not here to put together a church in a nice institution. We're here to build our relationship with Christ. As our service is ending and we sing our last hymn, I also want to remind you, if anybody would like to have prayer, as our servant, or our last song is being sung, I will be here to be willing to pray for anyone if there's anything in your life that you'd like to have to turn over to God more. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you that you invite us to get to know you better. But that is a relationship, and all relationships do require work. You've completely forgiven us, and we trust you for that. Our Savior has given his life for us, and for that we are so thankful. But help us go beyond salvation into what we call sanctification, to becoming more like Christ. And help us in that process to become deeper Christians who can trust you no matter what we face. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.